On this edition of the Iowa Business Report, we'll have individuals that are still sitting within their desks, within their cubicles, in a Teams meeting, because some of us are here and some of us are not here. We look at work differently post-pandemic, and that means looking at workspaces differently. Employers will be paying less state taxes in one key area next year. And in our business profile, we'll hear about the Farmers Business Network and a major expansion in the northwest corner of Iowa. This is the Iowa Business Report for the final weekend of August 2022. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com. Here is Jeff Stein. Younger members of today's workforce are increasingly seeking a higher purpose when it comes to their job. Add that to the changing work landscape in the wake of the COVID shutdown, and you can see there's a need to re-examine the workplace. Jonathan Webb is Director of Workplace Markets at KI, a global furniture manufacturer. He and his team conduct original research on workplace trends. I mean, the definition of the workplace has changed so much since 2020, right? You know, before the pandemic, 95 plus percent of our employers never had a work from home strategy. They, they never had hybrid, you know, most of them were one to one. So they hired one person, they gave them one workstation. And then all of a sudden we all become video conference experts overnight. You know, when it is time to come back to the office, we discover that we can do different things in the office. We can make the office more purposeful because it is possible for many of us, maybe not you behind the microphone, but many of us to work from home when we are working by ourselves. So we have to redefine why it's important for employees to go back to the office, right? We have to talk about the reasons that it's important. And it really comes down to engagement and productivity and then just overall wellness, workplace wellness, both physical and and mental health, actually. I wonder if there's a difference generationally. I mean, those of us of a certain age, we were just looking forward to coming back to work. What about those perhaps at a different end of the work spectrum from a demographic standpoint? Are they looking at work much differently and that's requiring some change in how we either design workplaces or how the rest of us think of work? I don't know if it's generational, but I've always held the notion that good employers would would look to collegiate design as a driver for for what they do from a workplace design perspective within their own organization. It would make sense. It's always made sense to me that if you were going to try to hire a younger demographic, it would be wise to study where they've spent the last four to six years of their lives. We're talking about the original distributed workforce. I have a kid that's out of college, one in college, one going to college in a couple of days, you know, where they work is is where they want to work. It can be the dorm room, the cafeteria, the commons, the, the library, the park bench, right, wherever. I think as it pertains now to the workplace, creating collaborative environments that really get people to want to come into work and engage and, and be around others there are certain percentages of people that really, really want and need that engagement, that face-to-face engagement with people. So 
The traditional extras, when we talk about ways to lure employees back to the office, you know, the ping pong tables and other kind of uh, amenities, those really just aren't important anymore. You know, employers are redefining the value proposition of the office because focus work can really occur anywhere, even at home. We have to think about how we're going to get people to engage a little bit differently in the office attracting and then retaining workers that is so important and that plays into all of this doesn't it because so many especially again i keep going back demographically they think of it as a quality of life issue it's not a work issue for the employee it's quality of life and 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 that changes the paradigm attraction and retention is still the number one issue that i talk to our clients about every single day this notion that we need to do certain things to get people back into the office, especially of a younger demographic. It's really just more about attacking the technology end of things. You know, while we did all become video conference experts on our, on our laptops overnight, I would suggest to you that most organizations that we deal with have not figured it out within their corporate headquarters very well yet. So, you know, if I'm working in person with four or five people within my office, I've got three people outside of the office those spaces that are made for ideation and interaction within an office environment, you know, how do we still connect to the people that are outside of the environment? And how do we adapt our overall technology platform within the office to be able to welcome those people that are not physically right next to each other? That's still a huge issue for employers all around the country. And I would actually suggest it's probably one of the top two or three issues that they're facing today. Just because we all did it on our laptops doesn't mean necessarily that we figured out how to do it at a macro level within our organization. You know, you remember several years ago, we everyone was talking about the open workspace and breaking down barriers. And, and what that really did is it lessened the amount of natural acoustics with barriers in the workplace. So, you know, as an example, just in my marketing department, we'll have people that do that. We'll have individuals that are still sitting within their desks, within their cubicles, in a Teams meeting, because some of us are here and some of us are not here. And we can hear echoes and the acoustics plays a major role in the ability to have a quality video conferencing experience. So while I understand the notion that perhaps it's better and more inclusive for everyone just to stay in their own spot, many workplace environments are not conducive to allowing people to do that and really have a quality type of work experience with all the extraneous noise around them. And because of that, I think you're starting to see employees that are saying, listen, we might not have to have as many workstations and people might be able to share workstations and, and have more of a hoteling type of application when they come in, but we have to figure out ways for people to work together in a more meaningful and purposeful way. And that includes, to your point, having the technology in place and, and, and that level of engagement with people that are not physically in the office as well. Do you find that there's a distinction between smaller offices, not necessarily smaller companies, but this particular office might be the only office, it might be one of a thousand. Do you find a distinction with that in terms of the desire to get back together? You mentioned a moment ago that, that folks want to get back into the workplace because of the interaction and, and the relationship building. Is that dependent upon more people want to when it was a tight-knit group to begin with? 
I think that's part of it. I, I think the industry that people work in has a plays a big part in that. You know, there are industries that did have remote work <laughs> before 2020. You know, the one that always comes to mind to me is like the insurance industry, big insurance companies. And I have friends and, uh, you know, that work in that industry and they laugh because they used to work outside at their home two to three days a week before everything. So that there was nothing new to them. You know, so I mean, there are certain industries that it really isn't that big of a deal to them and continues not to be a very big deal to them. So, you know, I, I really just it really just depends on the company culture and and quite frankly, the leadership within the organization as well. You know, if the leadership dictates that people need to work in a certain way in order to maximize the productivity within an organization, then you know, you respect what uh, your CEO and CFO are, are looking at in terms of productivity and output and, and you roll with that. And, you know, at the end of the day, those are the individuals that are right in front of the shareholders, stockholders, and, and they're answering to those people. I think there's a shift really in the conversation today from from organizational wellness to organizational well-being. And I think that there is a mental health part of this holistic health strategy that organizations are really starting to, to take a closer look at. The last two years have been hard on a lot of people for a variety of reasons. So having an organizational wellness strategy that addresses both physical health and mental well-being, I think is a good idea for any organization to take a look at, to just do best by their employees. Jonathan Webb is Director of Workplace Markets at global furniture manufacturer KI, online at ki.com. We spoke via Zoom on Wednesday, August 24. Still to come, lower unemployment tax payments and creating a unique shopping and delivery service for farmers. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. Looking for a great summer read? Get the July-August issue of Iowa History Journal to discover the journey of Iowa space explorer James Van Allen. Revisit your childhood through the house with the magic window. Learn about Sioux City's World War II Army Air Base and read the finale of our Making Waves series, which highlights Joe Dumont. Get your copy of Iowa History Journal at Barnes & Noble, Walmart, Hy-Vee, Fairway, and iowahistoryjournal.com. Support for the Iowa Business Report comes from the Iowa Business Council, a nonpartisan nonprofit organization working to elevate Iowa's economy through leadership, research, and advocacy. Learn more and review the annual competitive dashboard report by going to iowabusinesscouncil.org. It was announced this past week that the schedule of unemployment insurance rates used to tax Iowa employers will drop to its lowest level in two dozen years, in fact, the lowest rates allowed by Iowa law. That law requires Iowa workforce development to establish a table each year to determine the unemployment tax rates that will impact eligible employers. The trigger for those rates comes from a formula based primarily on the balance in Iowa's Unemployment Insurance Trust Fund, as well as unemployment benefit history, and covered wage growth. Now, state officials say this switch in the table means a business paying the median rate and staying in the same tax rank will pay $72.20 less per employee in unemployment taxes 
during calendar year 2023. The Unemployment Trust Fund was supported by a decision by Governor Kim Reynolds last year to invest $237 million in American Rescue Plan funds to stabilize the fund, this following record payouts the previous year due to COVID. In addition, in 2020, the governor directed that $490 million of CARES Act relief be used to support the Unemployment Insurance Trust Fund then. In short, Iowa Workforce Development says employers will see, on average, a 25% reduction in unemployment taxes in 2023. Coming up, managing logistics to benefit ag producers. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. Imagine a fully restored 1971 VW bus. Now imagine yourself behind the wheel. Wow, groovy ride, man. It's the Camp Courageous 50th Anniversary Raffle, and someone will drive off in that classic VW bus. Go to CampCourageous.org to learn more about purchasing a ticket, raffle ticket information, and more at CampCourageous.org. That's really far out, dude. The Iowa Business Report is presented by the Iowa Waste Reduction Center. Sponsors of a series of free community training workshops on composting, recycling, and more. For information, go to IWRC.org. In our business profile, we'll introduce you to Farmers Business Network, an independent ag tech platform and farmer-to-farmer network. This past Thursday, they opened a new logistics center in Larchwood, population 926, in Lyon County in far northwest Iowa. Jack Cox is head of logistics for the company. He told me it's a big deal for the Larchwood area, but even bigger because of the service FBN can provide for hundreds of miles around. At its core, Farmers Business Network is captured in our, our mission, right? We are Farmers First. We're an organization that right from the start has been built around what can we do for farmers? How can we make them more profitable, more successful in their business? It's actually a very interesting story. It's been eight, almost nine years now since the company was founded. Uh, it was founded actually as a data insights company. So farmers would submit data around what their yields were, what they were planting, the, the various dimensions of their fields, et cetera. And we have a team of data scientists and they would crunch that data and come back and say, this is, you know, things that we see in this field. You you did this versus this or a little more waterfall over here. You did a little better. Other farmers in your area are getting this much yield by planting a little earlier, a little bit later and, and those kinds of insights. And it was a subscription based uh, program where farmers would pay an annual fee and, and, and be able to exchange that data. That evolved into what we call price transparency. So with price transparency, we started to say, OK, well, you're paying this much. You're is paying this much, whether that's seed or crop inputs, uh, the herbicides and fungicides and insecticides that people spray on their crops. And, and we be, began to see some really interesting things. Uh, one of my favorite stories uh, we have seen, and this is even true to this day, we see that farmers will often plant different seed genetics in different fields, right, as a hedge against, you know, possible um, environmental factors and, and, and in order to protect their overall yield. We found that uh, 13% of farmers that were submitting data to us were actually thinking they were planting different genetics in different fields, but were planting the exact same genetics that have been sold under different labels at completely different prices. 
right? Again, with our mission of Farmers First, we began sharing that information with our customers and telling them this. And that didn't, you know, that that did not make us necessarily um, heroes uh, among uh, the the established ag players. And and so, uh, you know, over time, you know, we, we started to look at what other ways we could serve farmers besides just this data. And we began, uh, well, maybe we can sell seed and we can sell crop uh, other inputs to them. We can sell financial products and financing and operating loans and, and crop insurance. And so we've pursued all these different ways of better serving farmers. And, and as we've grown you know, into that physical space of, of providing product, because we hadn't made necessarily a lot of friends in the industry, it was actually very difficult for us to to come up with products to sell them. Um, and so we we became very vertically integrated. We went to China, we've gone to India, we found partners to control our own supply chain and produce our own product, control our own destiny, and, and bring that straight from, you know, all the way from source and origin, all the way, all the way to the farm, which actually in the last couple of years, the supply chain disruption has been a huge advantage for us. Whereas others have been limited, have had allocations, have had a lack of visibility in terms of what product they were going to have, how much they were going to have, and shortages. You know, we of course have had some of those challenges, but we, have, but our, our customers haven't felt it. You have a logistics center opening in Larchwood, Iowa. Tell us why that's the location. What made sense to do business yep. there? How it works with your existing business plan or client base? This is one of our big buildings, right? So when you think about a lot of the activity around crop inputs, happens right in the spring, happens before planting. And so there's this huge intake of inventory that needs to happen. And so this is one of five buildings we have around the United States that's designed to kind of suck in all of that inventory and then serve as the the center to smaller logistics centers, you know, in their area. So here in Larchwood, we are supporting, you know, build a logistics center in Minot. We're supporting one in in West Fargo and you know, in Shakopee outside of the Twin Cities. And so we can bring in all this inventory and then we can regionally serve these smaller buildings in a really agile way. And it's the dynamic relationship between those two buildings that really helps us be effective. Minot is a long way from where inputs are often brought into the country or created in, in the country, right? If you're going to put inventory in Minot, you're sometimes placing a really big bet. You're guessing months in advance of the need of what people are going to need and what, what products they're going to need, how much they're going to need. But with this relationship and with this building in Larchwood, we can put product in Minot and then we can respond very quickly to if there is a need for more insecticide very quickly realize that put more insecticide up there. Um, and, and if something isn't needed up there, right, we haven't placed this big bet. Maybe it ends up being needed in, in Minnesota or elsewhere. We can divert that inventory in a way that most supply chains, uh, particularly around brick and mortar, are not designed to do. Now, obviously, you place a fulfillment center like this in a location and you figure it's a I think in your case, 200 mile radius, essentially, that's your trade area. So I look at Larchwood and I'm a small town Iowa guy. This is a town with fewer than a thousand people. That's not, I'm going to say, a logical, typical, predictable choice. And so I'm intrigued about what it was that attracted you to that specific location. Was it dart on a map in proximity to the other places? Was it to make a statement about devotion to the family farm or what? Well, yeah, not so much a statement because we want, it, it might end up being that, but we're very purposeful. So, so it started with 
you know, fancy supply chain speak. It started with us looking at the topology of our of our network and how are we best going to get the coverage uh, that we needed in order to serve farms. And so, so when we looked at those primary fulfillment centers, right, those larger buildings, where was the right strategic place to put those in order to have greater reach to the satellite buildings that might be farther out farther towards where more customers might be in Minot, et cetera. So it starts there. And then we look at, are we going to be able to find space? Are we going to be able to hire people? Is it a place that uh, if we're uh, hiring third-party trucking that they're willing to come to at a better rate uh, where they're willing to ship from? So all of those go into that. And we've had a relationship you know, with the Sioux Falls area uh, you know, for a number of years uh, with, with an office also in Sioux Falls and, and you know, a fairly large employee base there as well. So delivery on farm is is difficult, right? It, it, a lot of companies, what we call less than truckload companies that handle freight that's smaller than fits in a truck or truckload companies, they don't necessarily want to drive um, out on a country road, on a gravel road and make a delivery on a farm, right? So they're willing to do it, but you might not get, it might not be in a timely manner. It might not be uh, at a sustainable cost. So, so you know, as, as we got into this, that's one of the things we realized we needed to lead the gap and cover that. So, so over the past year, we've stood up uh, a fleet of trucks, what you know, tractor trailer, fifty-three foot trailers, um, connecting our buildings, but also a fleet of smaller vehicles that we can do on-farm delivery with. So, we have drivers. It's really important to us to get our our drivers out and back in a day so they can sleep in their own bed for their quality of life and make the delivery on the farm. Although we might be this big national company, we still are able to build and maintain this local relationship, that that willingness to go on farm, make that delivery and, and deliver that experience. Jack Cox, head of logistics for Farmers Business Network, which held a grand opening event at its new Larchwood Logistics Center this past Thursday designed to create stronger partnerships with those in the immediate Lyon County area. More online at fbn.com. We connected via Zoom on Wednesday, August 24. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. In the meantime, you can listen to all or part of today's program by going to totallyiowa.com and clicking on the radio programs link. We're also found on all the major podcast distributors, 19 now in all. The Iowa Business Report is presented by Advance Iowa, providing business solutions and support to small and medium-sized businesses. Let's work together. More at AdvanceIowa.com and search for Advance Iowa on LinkedIn and Facebook. We welcome your comments. Send them by email to radio at totallyiowa.com. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you have a prosperous week. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com.